This is Anthony in Areno, and you're listening to In the Arena. Okay, we're back and we are in the arena. I had so many people email me and I appreciate your emails and I thank you for requesting that we bring in the arena the podcast back. So here we are jumping in with both feet. The podcast is starting over and uh, we're going to do a whole bunch of things this time. It's going to be really interesting. We'll have some interesting twists coming up you want to stay tuned for. But this time... I asked Brian Tracy, who was uh, our guest on episode 29, to come back to talk about his new book, Find Your Balance Point. He wrote this book with Christina Stein, his daughter, and it's called Find Your Balance Point, Clarify Your Priorities, Simplify Your Life, and Achieve More. And I know so many people are struggling to keep everything going. I know that everyone is overwhelmed, and personal productivity and success and achievement really matter. So I asked Brian to come in and talk about true balance and how you you find true balance. I asked him to talk about value ranking. And I see a lot of people do values clarification, but not a lot of people talk about the ranking and what values come first and why. I asked him to talk about vision and how he got his vision and the importance of goal setting. He's the master. He's one of my role models, one of my idols, and a true gentleman of the profession. So we're back in the arena with Brian Tracy, Find Your Balance Point. Hi, Brian. I'm going to say hello again, even though you and I have been talking for five minutes. We're going to let people drop in on the middle of our conversation now. Great. Um, we're here to talk about your new book, which you can see because I'm holding it up and you're familiar with the book, uh, Find Your Balance Point. And this is a, the last time I talked to you, we were talking about pure sales with, with uh, your, your last book. This is a very different book and it's an interesting book. And I want to ask you some I guess some very pointed questions about priorities, about achievement. And I, I want to ask you to start with a discussion about what is true balance and what is false balance. And, uh, and I think I might have some false balance. So help me understand the difference when we talk about finding your balance point. What are, what are you speaking about? Well, it's it's a subject that's become very, very important, almost a hot subject. And it's the whole question of values is what do you really value in life? What is really important to you? And only a small number of people, I found that only leaders, only top people, only well-developed people take time to think about their values. Most people just assume them like the composition of the air that they breathe. But smart people, and especially companies, sit down and think, what do we really value more than anything else? And I began teaching this many years ago, and what I found is that the way you organize your values by priority literally determines your entire personality, your character, your response rate, your relationships, your happiness, your health, and so on. So true balance is when you are very clear about your values, and you organize your life around your values, and you won't compromise them. 
And this is the mark of a person of character, uh, is that they will not compromise their values. If one of their values is truthfulness, then they will never tell a lie. They may not say anything, but they will never say anything that is not true. If one of their values is their family, then their family takes precedence over any other consideration, including financial consideration. So uh, asking a person what their values are, and their first answers are always going to be sweetheart values. Oh, I believe in love. I believe in people. I believe in um, uh, integrity. I believe in family. That's good. Now, how do you actually live? Because you can only tell how a person, what a person believes by looking at what they do, and especially what they do under pressure. And if you look at all your books and magazines and, and movies and things like that, it's what people do under pressure that really reveals who they really are. Uh, the Greek philosopher Epictetus said, uh, circumstances do not make the man, they merely reveal him to himself. And it's one of the great lines of history. So false balance is when you're doing everything possible to conform to what you think other people want you to do or what you think you're supposed to do or be or have, but you're never happy. You always feel kind of like, is this all there is? But when you're actually living in harmony with your values, you feel wonderful about yourself. I, I want to ask you, what, what I found interesting in the book when you talk about clarifying your values is, as a man, I think men, we like ranking things, and we like hierarchy, and we like to put it on a list and prioritizing things. Yes. And, and this idea of ranking the values, I think it's a new idea to people. So I see people go through these clarification exercises where they make a list. But what you're saying in the book is you have to actually rank these because yes. your your balance point is going to be based on those priorities. And what order do you put these things in really matters. What do you find as you go through that exercise with people? What what do they tend to value once they get past the sweetheart values of uh, love in America and apple pie? Well, I'll use an example of, of the three most predominant values, family, health, and career success. This is what people do. You can see just by looking at them. So uh, an example that I used, and I have people who fit into both of these, I say, imagine you have two people and they both have the same three basic values, family, health, career, success. Only one person has family first. And so my family comes first, health second, success in my career third. The other one has the same three values, but career success and money comes first, family comes second, health comes third. So when push comes to shove, under pressure, this is the order that this person would choose. Now, the question is, would the person with the first set of values, family, health, success, be different from the person with the second set in the same, same, same values, different order, success, family, health? Well, the answer is the people would be totally different human beings. Uh, which one would you want to be friends with? Very clearly. Not the person for whom career success, money, uh, making it is more important than anything else in life. You'd want the person who's got the same values but in a different order. And so, so asking yourself, what are your values? A good friend of mine, very smart guy, Mark Waldman, says, ask yourself each day for a week, what is my most important value in life? Every day. And, and don't be satisfied with your first answers. Every day, just keep asking. And as you ask, you start to drill deeper. And start to drill deeper. And I did this for a week. I thought I knew what my values are, you know, integrity, family, and all those things. I just kept asking the question. And you know what the answer was? Freedom. Freedom is my is my highest value. And I look back over my whole life. And I've always been fascinated by freedom, by writers, by economists, by countries, by 
heroes by the American Revolution. I mean, freedom has always been my major area of interest and drive. And I look at everything that I do with my family. My goal has been for my family to have complete freedom, for my children to be free, for my wife to be free, so that they never had to live up to anything. They didn't have to prove anything. They could just be themselves. And my goal in, for my country is the greatest amount of freedom possible for each person. And that's really what and you could tell. Anne Rand once said that, that um, all emotion is a response to values. When you meet a person that is the right person for you, the, the emotion that you feel for that person is at an unconscious level. You respond to the values that that person has, that they represent, that you admire. Um, and that's the real foundation of an excellent relationship. It's just you really feel something about this person. It has very little to do with physical appearance or other things because those are all transitory. What will last is the character of the person. It's interesting because freedom is uh, very, very high for me as well. We're cut from the same cloth in that, that regard. And I, I wrote a, a post on my blog a few months ago about what, why hustlers appear to some people to be chasing money, but most of them are really chasing freedom. And it's the, the money that gives you the absolute freedom. And so yes. it's breaking free from having to do this or having to do that or their family having to do these things. And it's just the same description that you gave. I think most of us, it's about it's about breaking free, and that's really the drive and the ambition. It's interesting that you framed that up that way. I I had a, a value shift myself for five and a half years. I got up at five o'clock in the morning and I wrote first every day, and then I realized if I really have to put my family first, then my health probably has to come before that because. If I'm not healthy, then I lose the capacity to act on behalf of my family and to get them that freedom. So now it's five o'clock, get up and be at the gym by 530 with a personal trainer so I can have the capacity to help the family get free. Uh, so it, it's interesting how your values change and shift over over time. But you've you found this theme that lasts for you for for as long as you can remember. Yes. Freedom. Let me let me move to. um I want to talk about the recipe, but I want to ask you about self-esteem. And I yes. ask you about this before, and I'll probably ask you about this every time because so many people I see are struggling to get the results that they want because they don't have the belief in themselves. They don't think that they, they are good enough, that they're big enough, that they're smart enough, all these things. And you, you've said this, and I, I, I said this to you before. I'm going to say it to you again. Last time I interviewed you, I think it was the psychology of sales. And I think it was when I read that book, you talked about looking into the mirror and saying, I like you. I like myself. I like myself. And it's so difficult for people to say those words. And the first time I heard you say that, I thought, I can't look into a mirror and say that. I mean, how am I going to feel? And that's the point. I mean, and, and it makes you change. But why do so many people have trouble learning to like themselves and love themselves and accept themselves? Because when you're, you're talking about your balance point, this is about you and what you are. And you describe this as one of the obstacles to getting there. Yes. Well, the, it all goes back to early childhood experiences. And I, uh, this is what really turned my life around when I uh, finally understood this, is that destructive criticism is the great cancer, the great destroyer, the great plague that destroys humans, uh, human beings. You know, they used to talk about the neutron bomb. And the neutron bomb is designed so it can go off over a city and it'll kill all the people but leave the buildings intact. And 
what destructive criticism does is it kills the emotions, the self-esteem, the self-belief of the person and leaves the person stay, still standing. So there's a lot of walking wounded. And it goes back to those first three to five years uh, where the parents, in an attempt to control, influence, sometimes they thought rightly or wrongly they were helping their children, they criticize them all the time. Uh, the average parent criticizes their child uh, eight times for every one time they praise or acknowledge their child for having done something good. And they're not big ones. They're saying, you know, turn that down or get out of there. Come to the table. Why do I have to call you all the time? Geez, your room is messy. Um, did you do that? Why not? I mean, it's just these little kind of niggling little criticisms. But the child grows up with just simply one concept. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough as myself. There's something fundamentally wrong with me. And then as they become older, they, they say that I don't deserve good things to happen to me. And then if they are successful, they develop what is called the imposter syndrome. They, they, they feel that, that I really am not this good. I mean, even though I'm successful because I've worked 16 hours a day for 15 years, you'll find that almost all successful people have this nagging feeling that something's going to happen and they're going to lose it all. It's, and it's going to all be taken back. They're going to be found out. Uh, there's going to be a reversal. Is They have this nagging feeling of, of, of not deserving the success that they worked so hard to get. And yet if you change and you simply change the message, I like myself, I like myself, I like myself, is you keep saying that over and over again and it's like a pile driver and it drives deeper and deeper into your subconscious mind. And as it goes deeper, just like fracking goes out from the drill um, core, just as it goes deeper, it neutralizes all the negative emotions all the way down. And you keep saying it over and over again and you finally reach the point where it clicks, it locks in. And from that point on, you like yourself. All your, you still have little bits of hesitancy, but in the main, you're just a happy person. You like yourself. You like other people. The whole world opens up for you. Let me, uh, let me ask you about a time, and I've heard you tell the story, but there might be people listening who don't. There was a time when you didn't like yourself. There was a time when you were disappointed with the results that you were achieving. What caused you to, to make that shift and say, I'm, I'm going to change and now become what I should become? Well, it was a gradual thing. Um, what, I, what I find is that the great transformations in personality take place when you set and achieve a goal. When you set and achieve a goal, it, it, it does something to you. And in its very simplest terms, it makes you feel like a winner as opposed to, we say, a non-winner. Um, and even if you have not been successful in your life, if you start to be successful, you start to get results, you start to change your perception of yourself, and then you get positive feedback from other people. Uh, I, I can remember looking back, uh, the people who were influential to me, not my parents, because my parents grew up during the Depression, were very negative. But I can remember a, a coach at school. I can remember a, a teacher. Uh, I can remember a, a guy who ran a gas station. Uh, and these people treated me like I was worthwhile, treated me like I was valuable. They treated me like a son. Whereas my father just always criticized me. And I still remember those people like, and you can walk away and you can have that feeling of the way that that person treated you for years. You still remember it. You sort of anchor into it, lock into it. So that's what changed me. But plus setting uh, a couple of big goals and achieving the goals. And, and, and a goal is something that you have to achieve over, by overcoming tremendous adversity. 
It's not like going to combine groceries or going to work. That's not a goal. That's just an activity. A goal is something where you really have to strive. And there is a good chance that you won't achieve it, that you will, that you will not um, uh, achieve it. So therefore, in, in psychology at Harvard, they call it earned success, is that what turns people on is earned success, is they have worked hard to uh, achieve the success. And that does something to them that makes them feel like very different people. It gives them confidence that they, that they yes. can tackle something bigger. Yes. Let me, uh, let me ask you about two ideas. I want to talk about a co- couple other obstacles because I think that the book, um, Find Your Balance Point, it's got a little section on the different obstacles that people face. And I want to talk about two of them. We sort of touched on a little bit. One is just the sense that you're undeserving of success and, the, and, and of happiness, really, if we're, being, if we're, we're getting straight to the point. And the second one is seeking the approval of others. How, yes. how do those two in particular hold you back and keep you from, from happiness and finding your balance point? Well, I, I began to study this and I spent two or three years, I spent about two or 3,000 hours studying just this critical element of the human psyche. What I found was that the greatest enemy of success and happiness is negative emotions. And I write about it all the time. And so that the great goal of life is to eliminate negative emotions because your emotions are very much like a vacuum is that if you eliminate negative emotions, then your mind will be filled with positive emotions. If you don't eliminate them, then the negative emotions will stay there and, and fester. In fact, it takes a long time because the natural state of the human being is to think negatively. It's almost like the default setting. So if you do not deliberately think about things that you want and positive things, you automatically think about things that make you angry or unhappy or past events and so on. So it takes a long time to, to reach a point of mental fitness. So one of the major causes of negative emotions is called inward considering. And inward considering is where you are constantly considering the opinions of others toward you. You become hypersensitive to what others might say or think about you. Um, and it can actually make people physically and mentally ill uh, because they're going back to early childhood Their parents have brought them up with continual criticism. So now as adults, they are hypersensitive to what others may think of them. You'll find that in the work that was done on what they call the fully functioning person, or what Abraham Maslow called the self-actualizing person, it is a person who doesn't care. It's a person who is not affected by others. The the word is completely non-defensive. You know, they say, I think you're ugly and stupid uh, and dumb. And you say, and your point is? You know, so what? Uh, I'm ugly, stupid, dumb. Anything else? I mean, that's all you got? Uh, <laughs> in other words, they're completely non-defensive. They don't defend themselves. They're not crushed. A fully functioning person has the other side of considering is considering the uh, what is correct in, in polite society. It's being sensitive to people's feelings. It's not doing anything to to hurt people. It's uh, they say the definition of a gentleman. In French, the word is comme il faut. And what that means is a person who never deliberately hurts anyone else. They're, they're thoughtful, they're sensitive, they're polite, they're courteous, they, they, they are self-restrained, and so on. So thinking about other people is a very healthy thing. But being hypersensitive to the opinions of others is very unhealthy. And it goes back to childhood again. I usually uh-huh. just accept the criticism and tell them whatever they think. Um, wait till they get to know me better and I'm prove them right. 
<laughs> just, just give me time. You're making a judgment too soon. And I think what you're saying, though, is that part of it from is not being sensitive to that. And the other part is being a person who's compassionate and thoughtful about other people and just embodying that and then building up some immunity to that because you are what you are. Again, we're back to character. Yes. Well, I had a great experience when I was younger. I, I, I had worked on myself for years. I was in my 30s when I met my wife. And um, she'd come up with a Catholic background. She'd been in a very bad marriage where she was continually criticized. And so when we got, but she was a fine person. And when we got together, after we'd been together for, for a while, she sat me down very seriously and said, now, uh, now that we've been together for a while, I want you to tell me all the things about me that you don't like so that I can work on them and I can improve myself so that you'll be happy with me. And I said, uh, could I think about that for a while? She said, well, yes. I said, I, I, I can't think of an answer right now, so I need to think about it. She said, okay. And so two or three days later, she came back and she said, um, okay, now it's time. I want you to tell me honestly, what are the things about me that you don't like? And I said, well, quite honestly, there's nothing about you that I don't like. And she said, you're not telling me the truth. We cannot have an honest relationship unless you tell me the truth. I mean, you've got to not try to protect me or anything else. And I'm going to give you another couple of days to think about this, but you've got to tell me the truth. So two days later, she came back and we had the same conversation. And I said, I'm, I'm telling you, quite honestly, there is nothing about you that I don't like. I cannot think of a single thing. And she started to get a little angry with me. And then she looked at me and her face lit up and she opened it. She said, you're telling the truth, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. You're telling the truth. See, this is the first time in my life I've ever been with anyone who never had no criticism of me. And that's why we've raised all of our children. I have never criticized my wife and I've never criticized my four grown children. It's kind of a little joke. I've never, I've never criticized them once because we know, I know how terrible destructive criticism can be. Children will sit there and they'll take it and they'll, they'll look at you. And, but the, but it's like a neutron bomb. It destroys them inside when they're criticized by their parents. And it's not that you can, you know, be positive sometime and be negative sometime and it equals out. No, the negatives are always remembered. <laughs> so you, we've never criticized our child, never criticized my staff, never criticized anybody because it's, because it's bad. <laughs> and and the, the worst thing of all is, the, is when you criticize someone else, you actually destroy yourself. When you, when you, there, there's a line from Shakespeare I used to use in my seminar. It said, the fragrance of the rose lingers on the hand that casts it from Shakespeare. And then I would say the fragrance of whatever you throw lingers on your hand. <laughs> Just think about that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I remember uh, being 21 and deciding to leave home to go and start uh, a hair metal band in Los Angeles. And I never, I, my mom, I mean, always supported every decision. I mean, and I know a lot of the criticism from parents is because they're trying to protect you and they don't know that they're doing you harm by telling you, you can't do that or you need something to fall back on. And they're giving you, I mean, they're destroying your self-confidence. And I didn't realize at the time how powerful that lesson was for her to support every decision, even some what seemingly would now look like an insane decision, uh, how important it was in my life and just developing the confidence. Let me, uh, yes. let me move us through to uh, one other big question I have for you. I, I think about in my own life and then looking at other people, how small my vision 
was of what I was capable as a child. And I grew up with a single mom, raising four kids, apartment complex. The, the vision of success I had was people got a good job. I mean, if they had a steady job, that was success from my view because we were poor and that looked like it was better than, than where I was. So I know, I know now that that was environment and surroundings, but it seems to me that this vision thing, and you talk about it in the book about de- developing that vision in every area of your life for what you really want based on your values. But it seems to me like it's climbing a mountain and sort of when you get to another peak, you can see higher up the mountain. And then when you get to the next peak, you can see further. And so your vision grows and you're surprised. And, and this sort of ties into your goal setting. You accomplish something. And then from there, you can see really how low that goal was and how small the vision was. But it seemed like a stretch at the time. You just have to start climbing. So why, why do people have trouble developing a bigger vision, number one? And then number two, if you don't mind, uh, just again, reiterate the importance of goal setting uh, as that lends itself to you actually growing and being able to achieve this balance. Well, the, the first one goes back to the, the work by Abraham Maslow. And what he said is that each person has a hierarchy of values or needs. And the first one is just straight survival. Um, you could, I can promise you these people that are trying to get the ones coming across the Mediterranean are not thinking about poetry and art and uh, uh, fine dining. They're just thinking about pure survival. And then the second level is security. So in a civilized society like ours, survival is pretty much guaranteed. There's dangerous things and dangerous people, but pretty much we don't wake up like people in the jungle worrying about survival. So then the second level is security. And when people are growing up, the first thing that the child is concerned about is survival. And then the second thing is security, especially emotional security. Children have no thought at all about money or finances or the house they're growing up in. All they're concerned about is, am I safe? Am I safe in terms of security? And their parents' job is to continually them that they're safe, they're okay. We get up in the night when our child cried. So, so the child knows. We know that in raising children, children will cry uh, at night just to find out if they're still safe. And then your parent comes, puts them back to bed, hugs them and so on. They go back to sleep again. They know they're safe. They're constantly checking. Am I still safe? Am I still safe? So associate getting a job with security. If I get a job, I'll be safe. If I get a job, I'll have a regular income. I'll be able to eat. Uh, I'll be able to pay my bills. I'll be self-sufficient. And at a very young age, that's exactly how people think. Almost every great entrepreneur started off getting a job at something, and then they decided to go off on their own. So that's this great need for security. Now, there's, it's interesting. You look at people's psychological needs. Some people need steady, steady income, about 80% of people. Is, is they'd much rather have steady, secure income at a low level than fluctuating income that varies depending upon performance and results at a much higher level. And once a person has, you know, been to Paris, you can't put them back on the farm. Once they have been an entrepreneur and they've made money and lost money and they've had success and failure, they can never go back to a steady job with a steady paycheck. And you've, you've spoken to people, you're like this yourself. Once you've tasted that excitement of yes, no, maybe succeed, fail, and so on, you can never go back. Uh, hardest work you ever do, but I speak to entrepreneurs because they can never, never go back to After 20 years, they can never go back to a regular job. They'd be the worst <laughs> employee ever. <laughs> 
That's yeah, right. And it's, I, I was in Paris. Uh, I got stuck in Paris last year, which if you're going to get stuck anywhere, it's, <laughs> as, it's as good a place as any. And yes. my wife wasn't with me and I kept calling her, just describing to her the beauty of Paris until she finally said, stop calling me. I don't want to hear <laughs> another word about Paris. Right. Um, just, let me just close with something uh, personal. Uh, I, I think between me and you, I'm a writer and you are definitely a writer, the most prolific writer uh, I am aware of. How many books did you write last year and how many books will you write this year? Uh, last year I wrote six books. And this year I've already written four, perhaps five. I actually have the fifth book um, on my, um, uh, my my desktop, and I just need to edit it. It's all it's all written, but I need to edit. I have a way of writing, so I polish it to the point where when it goes into the publisher, it's ready almost for um, publication, ready to go to the printer. Uh, so I've got one more book this year, and I'm looking at if I can just get one one eight hours of unbroken work, I can probably write a, a sixth book this year. I've got all the material laid out. It's just a matter of assembling it. What What's preventing you from having eight uninterrupted hours? Uh, just overwhelmed with other responsibilities that are more pressing. Uh, like a book, if I write a book, the book won't, won't come out till next year. So I'm looking, maybe I will be able to write this at the end of September. I'll get like 16, get two full days unbroken where i can write write the book then it's funny last time i spoke to you i interviewed you and i was in a hotel room and we were over skype again and i was in england and you had just gotten back from china and all over asia and i think you were on the road for months literally before that interview and, and you're getting ready to head back out on the road now yes how long will you be gone the longest well gone for two weeks then i'll be back and then I'll be gone for five weeks, and then I'll be back, and then I'll be gone for four weeks. It's like not being back, though. You're you're back so quickly. It's uh, time to to re reset the suitcase and start over. Well, it looks like I will write one book at the end of September. Uh, I'll be two weeks in in Europe, starting on Monday, and then I will write a second book. It's already laid out um, uh, the end of November. So I might even get to might even get to seven books this year. That's amazing. I'm going to uh, hold up this book because we're on video and I may end up using this picture. The book is called Find Your Balance Point. You want to say anything about um, your book and do you want to say a few words about your co-author on this one? Uh, <laughs> well, my daughter, Christina, is my co-author. She is an absolutely amazing woman. She's 35. She has three beautiful children, married to a great guy. She's finishing her Ph.D. in psychology. And uh, I wrote a program uh, some years ago called The Peak Performance Woman. And what I did is I put together an enormous amount of techniques and strategies that women can use to balance work and home, to get a better job, to negotiate for a raise, to communicate more effectively with men who come from different generations, to set goals, to manage time. Uh, just a really great program. When I took this, and what Christine and I did, is we took the most important psychological points out of that. Is, and she felt the most important thing was that a woman felt completely together. Uh, all people must feel completely together. Find your balance point. Determine your values and then your goals and then your priorities and then what's important to you. And then just organize your life so that you feel really happy most of the time. And the people who are reading this book, by the way, I, you know, I'm always a little skeptical of my own stuff. People, reviewers are saying this is an incredible book. It's very fast. It's easy to read. It's life changing. And um, it just may turn out to be a great book.
in terms of sales. What, what's interesting about the book is it's it's a really short book, but it, it's it's so deceptive. It's a it's 105 pages. The deceptive part of it is that there's a lifetime of work attached to all the points in the book. So it gets right to the heart of the matter, like value clarification and vision and all those things. So I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming back and, and letting me interview you again. Thank you, Anthony. Pleasure to talk to you anytime. He is Brian Tracy, and I am Anthony Anarino. You can find me at thesalesblog.com. When you go there, do sign up for the newsletter, thesalesblog.com forward slash newsletter. I will send you my best work every Sunday so that you can hit the ground running Monday morning. Have a great week. I look forward to seeing you back here next week in the arena.